the reading is taken from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, starting at verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm and steadfast. To him be the power for ever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. I wonder how you feel being likened to a sheep. Sheep have a little bit of a reputation and it's not a flattering one. According to the BBC, sheep are stupid, defenceless and harmless creatures that mope about on hillsides doing not very much. They are good for two things, being eaten and producing wool. Well, if you believe the BBC, the reality is very different. Sheep are actually surprisingly intelligent, with impressive memory and recognition skills. They build friendships, stick up for one another in fights, and feel sad when their friends are sent to the slaughter. <laughs> they are also one of the most destructive creatures on the planet, it says. So we should be proud to be called sheep? Uh, I don't think Peter is thinking about sheep that way. He is definitely thinking about God's sheep who are needing to be looked after. Yet he also expects them to stick up for one another in fights. In the context where God's special possession and chosen people are under attack, he draws them together to care for his flock. He sets up leadership and responsibilities and expectations between his people 
But the most important thing he establishes is humility before the chief shepherd. Amongst these people are elders. Usually the word elder means someone who's older in age, but here it's referring to those with a role of overseeing God's people. Though they're usually those who are older in age too. In Titus chapter 1, Titus was to appoint elders in every town. These elders have to be blameless and faithful at home, overseeing God's household as people living not for sinful human desires, but God's will and encouraging others with sound doctrine. These are the kinds of elders that Peter is addressing. The first thing Peter does is to identify with them. So verse 1, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, and also will share in the glory to be revealed. Peter has just written about all Christians participating in Christ's sufferings and future glory, and now he turns his attention to other things elders have in common. As an elder himself, tasked by Jesus himself with feeding his sheep, John chapter 21, he has a role to share or witness to the message of Christ's sufferings. So too the elders he's addressing. They, like Peter, share the same message of Jesus, and they also share in the glory that will be revealed in Jesus. Peter appeals to them. He exhorts them in verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. It's quite a great responsibility, isn't it? To watch over the flock of people who belong to God. Not their flock, God's flock. It does make my head a little explode a little bit to think that God would entrust his people to other imperfect and limited people. That'd be like getting one sheep with more white hair and glasses perhaps, looking after another sheep. Watching over them means to care for God's people, seeking to do what's best for them, according to God's purposes. Back in chapter 2, verse 25, Christians are described like sheep going astray. So a shepherd would also seek to correct and guide and draw back. Later in chapter 5, there is a predator after the sheep. So shepherds are to protect and to guard. Elders are to shepherd with eagerness, verse 2. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. God doesn't want begrudging shepherds who'd rather be somewhere else doing something else. He wants shepherds who are fulfilling their role because they want to. Neither does God want his elders to be manipulating his people with ulterior motives, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And this could be talking about elders getting some money on the side, but it also includes any profit, really, that is illegitimate or wrong. Perhaps another wrong gain is about getting recognition. And that's why Peter has to say, verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Again, Peter is stressing that these people aren't theirs to boss around. They are God's prized possession, and they are to be led by example rather than by overbearing force. I looked up what a shepherd's job today would look like, 
uh, and I found a website named modernfarmer.com. The first thing the modern farmer writes is that it's still a humble profession. Lots of hands-on work. There'll be time spent moving the whole flock to water and shelter or food. There's also time spent with individual sheep in need, whether they'd be sick or injured or orphaned or the highlight for him, helping new birth. No wonder the TV series, Farmer Wants a Wife, is a bit of a hit. These rugged and caring farmers are a bit of a catch. Until you read the end of the article where it says, happy lambs are tastier lambs, and nothing makes a party like a whole lamb on a spit. (laughs) Well, unlike this farmer, God's shepherd elders preserve the flock watching over and caring and correcting and protecting them for Jesus. And there's no other job they'd rather be doing. Of course, any shepherd watching over God's flock is also being watched over and cared for by a greater shepherd. So verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In John chapter 10, verse 11, God calls Jesus the good shepherd, the one who lays down his life for the sheep, who knows his sheep, and the sheep know him. Back in 1 Peter chapter 2, 25, Jesus is the shepherd and an overseer of our souls, to whom straying sheep returns. You see, Jesus is the ultimate one who watches over his flock. If elders want to know what watching over and caring looks like, they are to take a look at Jesus. He didn't go to the cross reluctantly, but because he was willing. He didn't pursue dishonest gain, but was eager to serve as the sheep who've gone astray. He didn't lord it over us, but was an example to us. No wonder he's receiving glory and offering a crown of glory to his elders, it's just astounding that he would give a crown of glory to his elders too. Jesus is just like his father in Micah chapter 7. The God of Israel there is called their shepherd. He showed them his wonders and led them to safe and fertile land. He caused their enemies to fear him as well as his people. To his people, however... He will forgive their sins and show mercy and compassion and remain faithful to them according to his promises. Jesus has taken on the family business. When it comes to elders watching over the household of believers, they are to do it with humility before the chief shepherd. I think that's a bit of a relief and a weighty thing at the same time. It's a relief because we have God the Son who doesn't miss a beat. He doesn't miss a thing. He's really, really good at picking up on those who are struggling or missing or wandering or threatening. So it's a relief to know that elders can rely upon and work with our great shepherd. The task of shepherding otherwise is, I feel, thoroughly impossible. It's weighty at the same time. Because that same chief shepherd is watching the elders' motives. 
He will see those who are unwilling and dishonest and overbearing. So, in New Zealand, where there is uh, much sheep, we can expect that they are at the forefront of sheep tech. According to the Guardian newspaper, they have worked out how to herd sheep using drones. The sheep are smart, right? And they just ignored the drones for a little while. So what they did was they recorded their sheepdogs barking and now have drones barking at flocks to move them around. <laughs> well, they, they didn't stop there. They went even further because, well, happy lambs are tastier lambs, right? So instead of barking, the drones now give out treats and the lambs now follow them with joy. The most important job for the drone, however, is to watch over the sheep. The shepherds are watching their flock by flight. Well, Jesus has a way better, is way better at overseeing skills uh, than a barking, treat-giving drone. He sees all and cares for all and is able to save. At this point, I need to speak to the elders at Trinity which includes myself. Remember that pastor means shepherd. We are to watch over God's flock, caring for them as the precious saved household of Christians that they are. They have been entrusted to us by our holy God. Remember that minister means servant and never think of ourselves as higher or more important than they. Instead, we lead best by example. For before we are pastors or ministers, we too are sheep before the chief shepherd, Jesus. We need to remember that we don't even serve to get a crown of glory from the sheep, but from the Lord Jesus himself. Now, I'm not sure you realise, but we have others at Trinity who serve as elders beyond the full-time ones. Those like your growth group leaders, prime-time leaders, or fusion leaders, or pastoral carers, or ministry coordinators, or the purpose drivers. This speaks to you too. Watch over God's flock and care for them with much willingness and humility and dependence upon the chief shepherd, we need all of us to partner together to shepherd the gatherings of believers here at Trinity. Please continue to pray for our elders. It is no small task to ensure that we keep tending the entire flock of over a thousand as we feed with God's word, as we encourage others to join the flock, as we call members to use God's gifts to them, to enable that sheep-to-sheep -sheep care and to praise the chief shepherd together. Pray for us as we seek to give special care to members who are in great and urgent need. Pray not just for the pastors, but all our elders, because we need all of us to be watching together. Peter now widens his view and addresses more of God's household. First, he turns to the more youthful. So verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. I find it funny how in uh, Jewish culture, 
anyone under 30 is considered the younger. So imagine that to your youth group. Their youth group would have had 20-year-olds in there. Now, whilst elders refers to a role in overseeing and caring for God's people, the younger here is talking more about an age group of people. As elders seek to willingly serve their Christian family, the younger are to submit to them. Just as we are to submit to authorities, slaves to masters, wives to husbands, the younger here are to submit to their elders. Peter again widens his view, and this time to all people. Verse 5, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Whether it be elders caring for God's flock or the younger submitting to elders, there is to be humility in our relating. To borrow a little bit from Philippians 2, that would look like elders valuing others above themselves. The younger not looking to their own interests, but to the interests of others. Where we would have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. As Jesus continues to oversee his people, God is also watching how we care for one another because God opposes the proud but shows favour to the humble. The proud in Proverbs 3 are spoken of in the same breath as the perverse and wicked and fools. The humble, on the other hand, is aligned with the upright, the righteous and the wise. God wants us to show, wants to show us favour and he's taking notice of how we treat each other. Just as our humble submission elsewhere is done with a view to Jesus, we are told, verse 6, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. When the time comes for God to judge all, including the household of God, he will lift those who have humbled themselves before him just as Christ humbled himself for our sake. I remember when I arrived in Adelaide 10 years ago, one of the first who gave me a helping hand uh, was our rector or network pastor, Paul. There he was, helping me transport bookshelves into the office and boxes and boxes of books. He had plenty of churches to oversee and here he was rolling up his sleeves to carry bookshelves for me. I noticed that it wasn't just him at Trinity, though. On Sundays, there'd be a head of a health department washing dishes over there and another in the choir and yet another teaching children. And that's just a few examples. You'd never know their work role because they would never parade it. Humility seems to run in the veins of members here. I take it that's because they humbled themselves before the God who shows favour to the humble. I think sometimes people here are a little hesitant in submitting to their elders, though, for some of us anyway. I mean, there are bad reasons for that, and you need to hear God's exhortation here. It's not okay by God to identify with pastors or elders here, but not submit and follow. I've said before about our growth groups, for example. You get the best care here at Trinity when you're in one. 
because that is the one, that is one of the structures we've put in place to serve you. If you ignore us, you're going to feel disconnected and unloved. Now, on the other hand, some of you might be hesitant in submitting to elders here because of good reasons. Perhaps you're not sure about our theology or you're only just meeting us for the first time or you don't know what steps to take or you've got health challenges that prevent you. We certainly want to know how to help you in your circumstances. Please let us know and one of our elders will be in contact with you. We've been hearing how there are going to be threats and insults and false accusations against us. Now, Peter introduces a figure who is likely involved in all of the opposition. Verse 8. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Isn't that just terrifying? I mean, for one thing, we here are just not used to talking about the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, as Ephesians puts it. The whole concept of angels and evil spirits just don't feature in our thinking very much. And it's terrifying to contemplate that they are real. And they are. That's terrifying enough. And then Peter describes the devil like a ferocious lion. Thankfully, though the devil might have an almighty roar and threaten to devour, that's all he can do because Jesus has already defeated him. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says that by Jesus' death, he breaks the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. That roaring lion of a devil has got no teeth. His threats are empty. But he is really good at giving false threats because he's the father of lies, according to John 8. He roars with lies that you're on your own in your suffering. He shrieks with deception that Jesus' blood is not enough to save you. He purrs falsehood into your ears that you have the right to live out your own sinful desires. So what Peter does is he draws this toothless lion into the light and makes us aware of what we don't see. He directs us to, verse 8, be alert and of sober mind. Verse 9, to resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We need to call out the devil's lies and our sin and the world's attacks, and we are to resist. Stop swallowing the lies. Instead, keep trusting in Jesus and be encouraged by other Christian family who are experiencing the same suffering. Notice, who is the one who is ultimately going to guard you against the devil? Verse 7, cast all your anxiety on God because he cares for you. Verse 10, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. 
just in case we get too cavalier and think that we can fight against the devil ourselves with our own strength. Just recognize where the strength and power lies. It's not in us. It is in God. I looked up what to do if you so happen to stumble across a lion. (laughs) So what you should not do is to run. Apparently seeing your back just makes the lion even more hungry. (laughs) Here's what you're supposed to do according to Discover Wildlife. You should stand your ground, perhaps retreating very slowly, but to continue facing the lion while clapping your hands, shouting and waving your your arms around to make yourself look bigger. Most charges apparently are mock charges, so you will usually be fine. That's a terrifying word, isn't it? Usually. (laughs) There is no way that I'm going to be standing here like a goose, clapping and shouting and entertaining the lion before its meal. (laughs) My strategy would be to offer a foot as an hors d'oeuvre and hope that it doesn't like Chinese food because I'm a bit spicy. The strategy against the roaring devil is to stand your ground against him and cast ourselves upon the mighty God, for he is the one with the power. At the close of the letter, along with sending some greetings, Peter tells us his purpose for writing. Verse 12, it says, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. God who will graciously restore us into eternal glory after we have suffered a little while. It's what the whole letter has been all about. God's undeserved gift of salvation through the blood of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, Stand fast in it and humble ourselves before the chief shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we give you great praise that we have indeed the chief shepherd watching over us. We thank you for Jesus, for he is powerful, for he is capable, for he is able to watch over every single one, to protect, to keep, to draw us to him Father, we give you thanks that we can feel his care and his love, especially as he has given up himself for our salvation. We give you thanks for the the letter of 1 Peter. We thank you that we're able to see the sufferings of Christ and the glory that would follow. Thank you that it speaks so much of your grace towards us. And we pray that you would help us to stand fast in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.